the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to be speaking this morning about the collect. The collect today uh, connects especially with the second reading that we had, the reading from Thessalonians. We're coming to the end of the Christian year. The Christian year starts with the first Sunday in Advent. And as we approach the end of one Christian year and begin to anticipate the beginning of a new Christian year, the themes are the themes of, the, of what are called in theology the last things. So um, the final judgment, the second coming or final appearing of the Lord. The, the season of Advent is really primarily, it's not until the very end that it's about Christmas, but in the first three Sundays of it, it's primarily about the second coming or the final appearing of the Lord, about everything that's over our high altar here at the, at the cathedral, about the book of Revelation. And so we have these themes of, of, uh, of, of judgment, of the second coming, and before the second coming of the final battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, and the final triumph of Christ. We, we kind of live, uh, so to speak, between D-Day and V-E-Day, where the enemy has already been defeated, but the final victory is now in view here. And so uh, I want to focus on the colic. These colics are very, very beautiful. Some of them are very ancient prayers. They come from the earliest days of the church in both the Latin West and the, and the Greek East. This particular prayer is based on the first letter of John, the third chapter, the eighth verse. O God, whose blessed Son was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life. So there's the devil, there's the works of the devil, and clearly the works of the devil stand between us and being the children of God and heirs of eternal life. So what about all of this? Now, this is a, this is a, a, a topic that, um, you know, when I was first ordained, people would say, but you don't actually believe in a real devil, do you? And, uh, I, you know, there was some incredible, you know, it's interesting, I'll just to tell you how, the, how, how things have shifted perhaps a little bit. I was picked up by a Lyft, a Lyft driver at the Albany Airport coming home from a trip I was on, and uh, I was dressed in my clericals, and the young man looks at me and he says, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a priest. And he said, oh, like the exorcist. He said, do you ever do exorcisms? I said, sometimes. You know. You can gauge the state of teaching about the devil and his angels in the churches by the um, emergence in the popular culture of movies and television uh, uh, serials that, are, that, that have a satanic theme. So I think we've probably been neglecting this topic because there's a new show on CBS. Have you seen it, Evil? And, and it's, you know, it's about, it's about Satan. It's about, it's about evil is evil is evil is real. And it's a priest and a, 
and a scientist, and they're kind of you know trying to sort this thing out together. There used to be a show called Lucifer. You remember that show? That was the show, and the premise of that show was the son of Satan wanted to get out of the family business if there was a way to do that. And then one of my very, very favorite things, uh, Hellboy. And if you haven't seen the Hellboy movies, they're very worth seeing. If you haven't read the Hellboy comic books, they're very worth looking at. Hellboy is about that very profound theological question. So Hellboy is literally the spawn of hell, right? And so the question is, is there anyone who's beyond redemption? And I'll give the story away. Hellboy becomes a hero because of the love of his parents, people who raise him on earth. And then there's the very famous film, The Exorcist, right? Which, which came out and was a, was a runaway blockbuster at a time when um, in the thinking and preaching and teaching of many of the churches, uh, there was an embarrassment about the topic of, of, of Satan. Why is this? Why does this stuff come up in the culture over and over again? And I think particularly so when it's not commented upon in the church. It comes up because the human heart knows. The human heart knows that evil is real. Hence the title of this new show. The human heart knows that evil is real, that it's spellbinding, that it's captivating, that it destroys, that it gets a hold of people, and it gets a hold of nations. And it's destructive. And that it's very difficult to free yourself from it. A lot of classic Christian doctrine has left the upstairs of churches and migrated to the basement of churches where the 12-step groups meet, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous. And if you look at those 12 steps, and if you don't know them, I recommend that. They're really, they're really sort of, in a way, they're, they're basic Christian doctrine camouflage so that secular people won't be allergic to them. The first one is that we admitted that our lives had become unmanageable and that we were powerless over fill in the blank. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk uh, about alcohol as alcoholism as a canny disease, smarter than you are, more powerful than you are, stronger than you are. And the drama of the 12-step room, rooms is a drama of salvation. It's a drama of seeking and finding the higher power which can liberate you. That is the sense that we have in this colic that we have here today, who God, whose blessed Son, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So what are the works of the devil? What is the defining satanic act? The great English poet Milton had this, had this profound poem. Um, Milton is not an altogether dependable guide to theology, but his poem is profound. The name of the poem is Paradise Lost. And in Paradise Lost, Milton puts these words into the mouth of Satan. Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. 
The angels are creatures. Uh, they, they have a brilliance of intellect. They're made to be very smart, pure intellect. They have free will, and there's a rebellion. They stumble and fall, some of them. We stumble and fall. And Satan understand is that there is anyone who is above him, that there's anyone that he must worship, there's anyone he must bow to and obey. He wants to be free. His understanding of free freedom is to have no constraints whatsoever, to be able to define for himself what is good and what is evil, to be equal with God. That's the defining satanic act. What are the works of the devil? The works of the devil is that he seduces men and women to follow him in his rebellion. The, the doctrine of the devil is a very interesting thing in the Bible because what the doctrine says is that, is that evil, the kind of evil that manifested itself so powerfully in the 20th century. Right? I mean, there are fantastic, phantasmic pictures of Satan that are just ludicrous and are easily dismissed, and Satan's very happy with that. C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford Don, says there are two mistakes about, about Satan. One is to believe that he doesn't exist, and the other is to find him under every bed. He's satisfied with both of those things. You know, either you're obsessed with him so that you spend more attention on the demonic than you do on the Son of God, or you're, you, 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 think that, you think that there's no peril. St. Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the, the devil persuades Adam and Eve, you can be equal with God. You can define good and evil for yourself. Have a bite. First bite is free. He promises freedom. He promises joy and satisfaction. He delivers slavery, misery, and destruction. One of the things that characterizes modernity, there are many, many good things that characterize modernity. I talk, I've been talking about them the last few weeks, you know, modern medicine and the incredible standard of living that we have. And, you know, if, if Louis XVI had had a big pen, he would have thought himself the most privileged monarch in, in Europe. I mean, it's incredible what we have. But there's also this about modernity, that we think that freedom, we think we define freedom the way that the devil defines it. To be free is to be free of constraints. And the last constraint of all is God. And it's not so much that modern people disbelieve in God, it's, it's that the question is irrelevant because we want to be, we don't want to be dependent, we want to be independent, we want to, we want to be our own masters. We want to have no one to bow and obey and worship except ourselves. And that's an idol, and the idols are always cruel. G.K. Chesterton says, the man or the woman who 
is the center of their own religion, serves the cruelest possible God that there could be. You know, um, the devil doesn't appear uh, with uh, a forked tail and a spear. The devil appears as the carefully uniformed, coldly rational and brutally efficient commandant of the death camp. So the works of the devil are that we are drawn away from God. And there are a number of ways that this can happen. It can happen as an outright, as an outright um, uh, rebellion, you know, a refusal to believe, or it can just simply happen as indifference, or that the cares of this world simply choke out the relationship with God. But having once turned away from God, we can't free ourselves from the grip of this rebellion. We need a Savior. We need someone who will destroy these works and restore us as children of God Almighty and as heirs of eternal life. God is our life. When the devil talks Adam and Eve into turning away from God, they turn away from the source of their life. And Jesus Christ has come that we might have life and have that abundantly. Now, the most important thing about the devil is that he's defeated. The human act of pride and rebellion has been undone by an act of humility and obedience. The curse has been worked backwards, the poison has been drawn out, and a power has been released which is a gift, and if we will receive it, is mighty to save, that destroys the work of the devil and restores us as children of God and heirs of eternal life. The most important thing about the devil is that the devil is defeated. And we sing a lot of hymns. If I'd thought of this earlier, I might have gotten Mr. Bynum to play this hymn today. We, we sing a lot of hymns, and often the words go by us really fast. You know this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's one of our favorite hymns, is it not? Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Amen.